What's up, everybody? You're listening to Neurodivergently Coaching, where neurodivergence meets coaching. Meets life and the world of work. I'm Terry. I'm Deborah. We're your co-hosts. We are two coaches with diverse identities who are joining forces to share our experiences within and about neurodivergence and coaching. So get ready to explore, learn, and grow with us. Neurodivergently Coaching starts now. (laughs) Today, we are starting to break down the whys, the whats, and the wherefores of neurodivergence, neurodiversity, and coaching. And the last episode, we started to unmask our identities, create courageous and vulnerable spaces for this journey. And that takes us to today where we thought we'd build on this foundational beginning and what that means to us and to you, the listener breaking it all down for us. Yeah, absolutely. So we thought we might break this down into three pieces, really. We wanted to look at what is neurodiversity, neurodivergence, and neurodivergently coaching through our own lived experiences and perspectives, through uh, our coach training, and then through our coaching on the ground. So let's uh, start by defining neurodiversity and how we will be using the language in this podcast related to our lived experiences and perspectives. And so the first thing when we enter into a conversation on language, I want to say that language is both emergent and deeply personal. And so, you know, just right off the bat, bringing it to coaching, it's the language of the person who's in front of you and the meaning making behind it that really is the most important thing here. And so as we start to look at what are, you know, some of the, I want to say textbook definitions of these ideas, um, I want you to keep in mind and we'll be sharing our lived experiences. Neurodiversity actually started as social movement. And it's more recently than you'd imagine it was in the 1990s. There's a couple of folks who are credited with coining the phrase neurodiversity. But I based on my own research, I go by Judy Singer. And she was uh, a person with Asperger's which actually is now known as autism level one. So that's just kind of interesting to know that in the 1990s, the person who started the movement would be known by a different label today. There was a number of things that were kind of confluencing together and coming together at that (laughs) time. I love it when I make up words. (laughs) So the internet as a tool for folks to band together and particularly for folks who would have been on the autism spectrum, who may not have had any other way to reach other folks around the globe. And then had the idea of neuroscience that was starting to get some traction uh, and some additional pieces of research. And all of that coming together with uh, this movement for acceptance 
of this idea of neurodiversity. And of course, the term diversity coming from the social justice movement. So if we put all these terms together, that is our first term is neurodiversity. And I want to kind of ladder some of this language. So we have neurodiversity, and then we have neurodivergence. So neurodiversity in plain terms, sort of how it we use it here in the podcast is the idea that no two human brains think or act exactly alike so that there is no neurotypical brain. There isn't a brain, uh, a bunch of brains that are exactly the same. And then a bunch of brains that are quite different. Neurodiversity is the idea that all human beings think, learn and process information and behave across uh, this beautiful rainbow or spectrum. So neurodiversity then becomes the wide range of neurological variations. And that's the first term I want to talk about. And then kind of laddering on top of that, neurodivergence has to do with folks who might be at either end of functioning in the neurodiverse world. So folks who might be labeled with a medical diagnosis, or even who might feel that they embrace a certain number of characteristics, and they might be self-diagnosed. So some terms that you might or might not know of, and that might be separate or occurring together in individuals under the topic of neurodivergence. Uh, You commonly might know ADHD, Uh, which stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. You might know autism or autistic, or you might even have heard the term Asperger's, which is currently not a term in use. So now we have autism spectrum condition or disorder, ASD or ASC. And there are three levels that may be diagnosed, level one being the what might have previously been known as the highest functioning. And so I myself have autism level one and ADHD, commonly known as ADHD. Welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) So dyslexia impacts literacy and dysgraphia impacts handwriting. Dyspraxia impacts physical coordination dyscalculia impacts numeracy, Tourette's syndrome impacts the nervous system, and you might commonly see that as verbal tics. And then the definitions vary. So things that might come under, depending on where you consult, might come under the uh, label of neurodivergence might be, uh, so for example, some might consult Uh, Some places you might consult would say that PTSD or post-traumatic stress, which is an acquired condition, can also fall under neurodivergence. So there's, again, the language is emergent, and it is not an exact terminology. Why I wanted to ladder these terms neurodiversity as the broad range and neurodivergence as a particular range is that... In common language, if there is a common language in the workplace, 
neurodivergence might be confounded with neurodiversity. So when we talk about neurodiversity at work, or when you're in place of employment talks about neurodiversity, they might be referring to what we refer to as neurodivergence. And such is the, the nature of language, right? And so the other thing that I wanted to say about this before I get to my own perspective, getting closer to my perspective, uh, are ideas around uh, neurodiversity and neurodivergence and that there are socio-political and economic issues that in, in some ways determine what we are meaning, what we are saying, how we're diagnosed. So recognition of various conditions, diagnosis, treatment, workplace adjustments. And so my role here and my where I come from, from a personal perspective, is I'm a critical theorist or a provocateur. And uh, that means that I aim to critique in order to change uh, and make society a more socially just society. Another idea is the, the idea of social model of disability versus the medical model of disability. So the social model of disability, which is more often than not where I land, says that disability is caused by the way that society is organized. And the medical model says that people are disabled by their impairments or differences. And a simple illustration of that would be that a person under the social model, a person cannot enter a building because the building, uh, because a person is in a wheelchair and the building does not have a wheelchair ramp. In the medical model of disability, it says that the person cannot enter the building without the, a ramp because the person has an impairment. Although both models are useful in various perspectives, more often than not, I personally land with the social model of disability. And so that's kind of where I come into the picture and where my nerdy wordy brain comes into the picture. And I'm kind of wondering where you come into it, Terry. Deb, I really, really appreciate your nerdy wordy brain. Because all that information is so necessary and uh, is so needed to be understood. And every time I hear it, I learn something new or I grab a piece of new information. It's ongoing and it's evolving, like you said. Where do I come into it? My identities being somewhat different than yours. <laughs> somewhat or completely opposite at times. I come at neurodiversity through my lived experience as a woman of color and a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach as well. And I know your work is also rooted in DEI. My values, the system of DEI and diversity, a lot of people don't really know what that is, what DEI is. And I just want to talk right now about the diversity piece and the and, and what that means. And diversity, it refers to the array of differences among people and their perspectives. And diversity is such a broad umbrella that covers so many different identities. 
like gender identity, sexual orientation, of course, race, ethnicity, and neurodiversity, and so many other more identities. So neurodiversity, in my perspective, through my lens, is what it means is there is no one right or correct way of thinking, learning, and behaving. And the differences are, these differences are not viewed as deficits. They're just different. So neurodiversity describes the idea that people experience and interact with the world around them in so many different ways, and that's okay. And we embrace those differences and we learn from those differences with humility. An example of differences would be the fact that I learn audibly and visually. I do not fall into the neuronormative way of memorizing and reading large amounts of context, and that's okay. <laughs> A lot of people don't make eye contact or have problems with eye contact. I am very social and extroverted, but yet I am very introverted and love being socially away sometimes. So I kind of go back and forth. And again, that is how my neurodivergence shows up. And that's okay. Neurodiversity in coaching, and I think of it as neurodivergently coaching, <laughs> this new model I feel that we are slowly creating is a movement for coaches to understand how to support people who are or may be neurodivergent outside of the mainstream ways of being a coach. How we should, I do the shoulds in air quotes, operate as coaches, focusing on the process of supporting clients or our neurodivergence, coaches' neurodivergence, and patiently supporting their journey towards their goals and management of this human experience. Because the management piece is so huge in excelling. So that's what comes up for me, what neurodiversity is in my perspective and through my lived experience as well. Wow. Again, so many different ideas and, and pieces there. I especially love the way you emphasized about learning and ways of being because our, our ways are so very different. Gosh, I, I can't absorb any information when it's, when it's verbal. I, it has to be attached to words that are written for me in order for me to, to learn them. That's, uh, it's just so interesting. And, and this is how we come together. We're so fascinated by it. And so I'm curious, Terry, what, where it came to your coach training, um, how does all of this play out? Yes. Thank you, Deb. You know, when you were talking, the question, the very coachy question, how do you learn came to my mind? And that is a 
very common neurodivergently coaching question while coaching. So yeah, so coach training, how that played out or plays out as I am always continuously learning and training. I want to say in the beginning, my coach training started before I technically went to a coach training program. I started my neurodivergently coaching journey with identity work. Uh, It was many years ago, possibly going on a decade soon, where I took an Ancestry.com test after many years of therapy (laughs) because I wanted to know more about who I was. And I, I learned so much from this test, not only because it validated the fact that my ancestors were a part of the transatlantic slave trade and I'm The fact that I'm 94% West African and my ancestors were taken to Jamaica, it was very transformative for me in my coaching journey and my self-love journey and my self-respect and all of those pieces in building my self-confidence in order to hold up that mirror to and for my clients, I had to hold up the mirror to myself first because I knew I wanted to support underrepresented groups, equity deserving groups like myself. In this journey towards coaching, first of all, I tried to give my family so much advice and <laughs> it wasn't working. <laughs> So I decided, okay, I need to learn how to do this. And it was the best decision of my life. Coaching program that really aligned with my my needs and who I was and what I needed. It was 2020 during the pandemic. I actually stayed home for eight months and the entertainment industry shut down. And it was the best experience of my life because I realized then I can work from home and it's so much better than going out there and being around hundreds of people every day. I I looked for school that had remote work that fit my needs. And I only found one. I found one where the leader or the CEO, the face of the school, I would consider to be or seem to be neurodivergent because she had audio transcripts, everything was video and recordings, and it fit who I was in my identity. Also a very esoteric <laughs> practice and intuitive intuitive intuition-based coaching. It was my life coaching journey. And that was that was pretty pretty amazing and growing time for me. After that, after my coach training, I I met so many 
amazing, or during, I should say, my coach training, I met so many amazing coaches. And that was the first time that I was propelled into another world of privilege, I would say. Uh, my coach training was over $12,000 for this program, U.S. dollars. And I wanted to find something that was definitely worth it. And I feel as if I did. But joining this community, I was quickly met with the amount of privilege and these human beings had coaching for a lot of coaches, the second career and dominated by women of a certain age that have the privilege to take the trainings and move forward with all their wisdom. So that was a very interesting perspective, especially for a woman of color and a woman that don't necessarily come from privilege, but because I have succeeded in my past career, that was an option. So most of my training was or has been after the schooling, diversity, equity, and inclusion focus, which again has an accessibility, you know, feel because neurodivergence and neurodiversity is under the DEI umbrella. And that was my leadership training. But even through all the diversity, equity, and inclusion training I've done since I've been on this journey, there has been absolutely no neurodiversity training that I've run into. And not even in the many DEI programs that are filled with so many coaches. So interesting, right? This is, uh, this really is where we come into the picture. This is, I've had coaches say to me, you know, how fortunate for you, you found a niche. And yet it's, you know, the provocateur in me says, hmm, interesting, why does that niche exist? Right? I'm like, I have to comment on this. It is one of my biggest pet peeve that coaches believe that DEI is a niche, where I believe it's a necessity. <laughs> it's 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 our values, right? This is what we, it's that is what coaching is about: uplifting communities. Interesting, yeah. And so the provocateur in me wants to uh, pull a number of strings forward from some of the things that you said. We all have our, our I want to say, our soapboxes that we stand on. And the one that I stand on very often is um, the idea that when we talk about DEI, we don't always talk about disability in general. And when we talk about disability in general, we don't always talk about uh, the full breadth of ways of being as a human. So again, neurodiversity versus neurodivergent. And so, and then the other idea that you brought forward is the idea of us as coaches having to do our own work where it comes to neurodiversity, where it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have to do the work. And 
Yeah. So I think that that idea comes to mind in terms of the work that we want to do. Another thing that came to mind that was so interesting is like you said, you stayed home for eight months during uh, the pandemic. So working from home is such a hot button issue all around uh, and return to the office and so on. And the thing that I want to say unequivocally is that my life given the amount of privilege that I have, but also given my particular brand of neurodiversity, my life got so much better during COVID because a lot of the anxiety that was caused by being overloaded sensorially for having to drive to client sites, for having to be in rooms that weren't suited for me from a sensory perspective a lot of that stuff went away. And even you talked about eye contact, that odd sort of eye contact that we have when we're working uh, virtually is quite different. And while it it can be draining in different ways, it has, I want to say it's gotten better for me because I stand out less in my particular weird, awkward way of making eye contact. So Uh, The the listeners don't know this, but I'll just share that I, in addition to being autistic and having some issues with eye contact, I also have a lazy eye. So it's a constant vigilance for me where I place myself in relationship to the person I'm looking at, so that I'm looking primarily out of my left eye and not my right eye. Um, So there's all kinds of issues around working from home and working virtually that matter to folks who are neurodivergent matter a good deal more in terms of our uh, mental health and well-being. Um, And so let's talk about training. Um, So my entry into training was coach training was 17 years ago. And at the time there were only in-person programs and, and there weren't certainly were not the variety of programs that there are now. And so cost being a factor, mine was 12,000 Canadian 17 years ago. That's a a pretty high bar. It was in person only, which is even at the time where I wasn't diagnosed, I knew that that would be very taxing on me going, um, you know, for a full week at a time into a room of, of complete strangers Um, And we get to know each other relatively quickly, but all the sensory issues contained therein. And again, there were no tools like transcripts or or, um, other neurodivergence tools. And then when I talk about, you know, all the professional development that I've done for coaching in the last 17 years, most notably my ADHD coach training that I did about five years ago, again, not particularly disability friendly not uh, particularly really encompassing where it came to leadership coaching and the fact that we acknowledge that there are adults who are neurodivergent or who may be diagnosed. For me as a researcher, a provocateur, uh, an educator, this is one of my particular interests in uh, how we come together here uh, you and I, Terry, and in this podcast is in my experience and the education of coaches in initial coach training in my er two areas of expertise, which are continuing professional development for coaches and as mentors and supervisors, 
What does that look like from a neurodivergent perspective? And then the, um, as coaches, as professional coaches, you and I are credentialed and credential um, testing is not particularly neurodivergently friendly. Also in the credentialing process uh, is not particularly friendly to any disabilities, uh, let alone neurodivergence. It's also, again, another level of privilege and cost. This is a special interest for us where we come together. And then my own experiences in terms of my identity as, as a person in continuing professional development, continually being um, told either directly or indirectly that my way of being is not equal to the coach way of being, that my particular brand of being in the world does not conform to coaching and, and the messages that we internalize. And, you know, frankly, it's made me a better coach for folks who are consistently told that their particular brand of being in the world is not okay. Lots more to follow on that. And that's kind of, you know, just even what brings us to being coaches. And, and then the, I want to say the final piece that we want to work with here in this podcast is talking about what is it on the ground for us as coaches while when we are coaching or where we come into it as coaches. And I'm kind of curious, Terry, where do you come into it in terms of what is it in coaching? Yes. I kind of want to go back and pull a couple of things that you had said. <laughs> the credentialing part and the torture <laughs> of getting to my ACC, my ICF ACC credential and the three hours possibly this test. I, I, I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly the amount of time, but sitting there and answering close to 200 questions and not being able to get up and move around and being timed. Oh my gosh, not only did it cause so much anxiety, but speed reader, I am not. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. And the lack of accessibility was screaming at me. It was torture. And I really felt like I could have done better. I, it doesn't make you feel good. It kind of challenges your, am I good enough? You know, am I a good enough coach? Because you can't read fast enough during this credentials, which is silly, right? And again, like you said, with the, the privilege of costs, to get to my ECC, that has been a, a roadblock. It's, it's definitely a systemic barrier in the process for sure. So yeah, going back to what is neurodiversity divergence when it comes to coaching for me, I remember a fellow coach friend of mine in coach training asking me out of the blue if I wanted to support coaches or regular people. And I thought that was such a funny question. And I immediately said, oh no, I don't want to support or coach coaches. And the reason for that was self-doubt and an insecurity feeling of not being coachy enough, not being a part of that standard of how coaches behave. I have 
being ADHD, my impulsivity, and just little things that doesn't fall under the, this is the way you're supposed to behave as a coach, you know, that normative standard in coaching, whatever it is, the unsaid. And that was the reason why I answered that way, kind of picking up from what you were saying earlier, not really, not feeling like you fit into that. But even though I said, hell no, (laughs) I still have been thrown into work with coaches and surrounded in working with coaches. And it's very interesting for someone that doesn't want to do it, (laughs) keeps doing it. There is some data from the International Coaching Federation. I think it was released in 2023 that showed that baby boomers, which is a lot of coaches, are including me, including (laughs) you, not not open to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, which is where, like I said earlier, neurodiversity falls under. And them being comfortable in the status quo and also in that privilege as well. And I'm not talking from just what I think. This is data backing it up. And me working with hundreds of coaches and experiencing so much mm, discrimination, stereotypes, and being a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach, seeing and reading the research on the colorblindness that runs rapid through the coaching industry. And as Deborah once said, I don't know if it was this, it wasn't this episode, it was the first episode about that colorblindness erasing one's identity. And if you can't even see my color, how are you going to be able to even acknowledge it or acknowledge my neurodiversity as a part of all of the identities that interlock within who I am as a person? That is, I guess, the journey that I'm on, being of assistance to raise awareness and be that neurospicy inclusion coach. There are so there are millions and millions of humans that are misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed, masking consciously and unconsciously masking and being excluded. And I feel like neurodiversity in coaching means just making an effort to improve awareness and understanding of how neurodivergent conditions manifest and how to support all humans towards their potential, not looking at these human beings as if they have deficits. I love that. I love that. And I'm going to I'm going to pick up uh, as we have been weaving this conversation, just pick up a a couple of pieces of that. So, yeah. So I think our work is in working with not just our clients, but uh, coaches in our community and the neurodivergently coaching community. And 
I guess there's a couple of things I want to say, bring to the forefront about that community. So if we think about coaching and coaches, we think about the definitions that we brought forward earlier, neurodiversity is always in the system, thinking, feeling, acting, behaving, all of those things on a broad spectrum always existed and currently exist. It's, it is the system, neurodiversity, whereas neurodivergence is already sometimes in the system, already sometimes in the system, meaning that you may or may not know who is neurodiverse and who is neurodivergent. And that may be true of yourself, and it may be true of some of your clients. And so who shows up as the coach is important to consider. What are that person's assumptions? What are their training? How neutral is it? We, we, you and I, Terry, we tend to refer to it as the systems we swim in. So what, uh, our training is not neutral. Um, and the recognition of that. And when I say our training is not neutral, it's because we, you know, we're a relatively young profession and we're rooted in older professions, psychology, education, even some sports coaching. I think one of the first leadership coaches was a tennis coach initially. And so all of those things are part of, you know, who may show up and then there's how might they show up diagnosed or undiagnosed. Um, many of the folks that were, were adults in the workplace um, were, are not being seen by the same diagnostic criteria that they would have been seen by as children. And that's why so many diagnoses are showing up now. Um, what does it look like for us as adults? And what is our role as coaches, right? This is, you know, what is the, our wisdom, yours and mine, Terry, from our um, uh, diverse backgrounds, from our intersectional identities, where we are primarily working with folks who are neurodivergent in life, in, in leadership, in the workplace. And so um, what is our wisdom from the field? That's a big part of where we're going to be taking all of this in the podcast as we go forward. Um, for me, one of the key questions is, um, you know, the, not even key questions, but key wondering about who else is out there that's like me, late diagnosed. And what are the reasons for that? We want to dive into that. Um, we are being called a women of uh, a women, a, a generation of lost women, or a um, and then my biggest wondering, and I hope that our listeners will uh, sooner than later answer this for me is have we, are we hiding in plain sight? Have we as a profession weeded out the coaches who are neurodivergent or are we hiding in plain sight? Are we just discovering who we are? Um, and so those are some of the big questions that we'll be talking about in terms of uh, coaching uh, and what it looks like on the ground. And so just, you know, starting to wind down our conversation, 
we talk, we have so far talked about in, you know, fairly broad strokes, what uh, the terminology is neurodiversity, neurodivergence, neurodivergently coaching through our own lived experiences and perspectives. And then what does it look like where it comes to coaching in our coach training in our coaching on the ground? And so Terry, you might have some closing thoughts. I might have some closing thoughts. Yes, definitely. You know, I loved what you said and what you say about neurodivergence and it might being might be in the room sometimes part of a part of the system that reminds me of trauma it's like trauma trauma might and sometimes be a part of the conversation or be in the room and general generational trauma is also something that is a part of the system so a lot of coaches are very well educated on the fact that trauma in this generation or many back is in the room. And we need to start realizing that neurodivergence is possibly also there. And that's the thing. And it can look like trauma. Those are my closing thoughts. Mm. By you, Deb, what's coming up for you? Yeah, so what's coming up for me is um, certainly some agreement on trauma being part of the picture and being a trauma-informed coach being equally as important as being a neurodivergent-informed coach. Mm. Um, And what what it brings up for me is like, who do I want to be in this conversation? So we are provoking a conversation. So I want to be a provocateur. I want to invoke conversations that need to be had. I also want to be an articulate truth teller. um, And that is being a, a teller of stories that need to be told. And then finally, and I think this is the very moment in my life when I can say this with all truth, is I am an outsider who belongs. And that my voice, your voice, our voice is absolutely necessary in this coaching dialogue. And certainly, um, in creating the dialogue around neurodivergently coaching. I love that. And I just want to kind of take the moment to talk about who I want to be. <laughs> I want to be, I want to represent Deb. I'm trying to represent for, be that representation for people of color or underrepresented groups with the compounded identities that affect them in their daily lives. And you know, we're all navigating these waters and people with different disparities and underrepresented and equity deserving groups, their voice is often silenced, silenced by oppressive systems, oppressive people, people that want to stay in their privilege and not change. And I am just so 
thrilled and excited and grateful to be able to use my voice. So I want to be someone that uses my voice to uplift other people and not ever be silenced by fear or other people's fear as well. So much, so much that Terry, you know, I think in allyship, sometimes the most important thing we can do is, you know, certainly as a late career white woman is, is help to amplify voices. If, if I can not, if I can do one thing, I can do that. And I've been looking for you for a long time, a long time. Been working my way to you. <laughs> well, that's a song, I think. I'm working my way to you, girl. <laughs> Something like that. I can't believe I'm singing. <laughs> Tell us where we're going next next uh, episode. Next episode. Oh, my goodness. We are going to talk about unmasking and what that means and what that means for the neurodivergent community. In the first episode, Deb, you had such a beautiful story about the mask hanging on your wall. And we just thought this is very foundational work. And we want to continue that conversation because we haven't really spoken about it in depth, but yet we are using that word over and over again. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about next episode. I'm excited. I think we're really going to um, give our term hiding in plain sight a run for its money. <laughs> yes. I, I can't wait. And uh, I'm excited that our listeners uh, will join us on this journey. Before we go, we have to give the quick reminder. We are coaches with real lived experience. Yeah, thanks for that, Terry. Absolutely. With that in mind, we want you to understand that the content in this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice, uh, for diagnosis or for treatment. And we would never want you to disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it based on anything that you've heard here. Thanks for joining us on this neurodivergent journey. And don't forget, like Deb just said, subscribe, like, and please share. And if you are a coach, connect with us at neurodivergently.com, the online community. That's neurodivergentlycoaching.com. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. <laughs> and of course, we're on LinkedIn. Please follow us. So until next time, keep coaching neurodivergently.